It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We walk the fields under the stars. For love is here in Goldshaw Farms. Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. On each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And I want to ask you guys a question. Do you ever have a friend who leads a life that is so drastically different than yours because of the fundamental nature of where they're based or what they do that it just absolutely fascinates you and all you can do is is want to try to learn more and more about how they do what they do? Well, I've got a friend who's like that, and, and, and her name's Danelle. And, and she lives out in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And, and when you think about it, right, Phoenix, Arizona is almost like the inverted uh, parallel of, of our farm here in Vermont. Danelle lives on one acre in the middle of the desert. She keeps a whole bunch of goats. And it just fascinates me to watch what she does. Because her context is so different than what we have here at our farm. I mean, they are a desert. They have crazy heat. They have crazy dryness. They, I don't think they've ever even seen a snowflake in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And meanwhile, we have six months of winter and plenty of rainfall and a really lush green summer. Uh, it, it all almost feels like, like I said, the, the exact opposite of, of, of Phoenix, Arizona. But even though Danelle lives in the complete opposite context of, of what we live in here at our farm, I find that I learn a ton from her. Uh, Danelle has a, a YouTube channel, Weed em and Reap. It's, it's crazy popular, lots of viewers, and it's just really great content. I learn so much by watching her videos and, you know, seeing how she approaches life and seeing how she approaches her tiny, tiny little homestead, it, it's it's actually given me some thoughts and ideas for how I should be doing certain things different here on our farm. And so I figured for today, it'd be great to sit down with Danelle and, and have a conversation and, and learn a little bit more about her and, and what her story consists of. So without further ado, here's my interview with Danelle of Weedem and Reap. really passionate about getting through school. So I was in nursing school, he was in engineering school, and we were both had that ambition. So that's what we connected on. And um, we never thought in a million years we would like have a farm, have goats and all that. That definitely came later. I didn't even think, I wasn't even thinking about that, yeah. So, so then how do you go from that place where you're focused on, you know, professional careers and building careers like that to yeah, you got a whole bunch of goats and some pigs and about a billion chickens and et cetera. Yeah, uh, well, I actually, uh, in the middle of nursing school, I hurt my back and um, I had to quit right before I graduated. So it was a real bummer for me. Um, and after that, I kind of gave up on the idea of like nursing school. We ended up having some kids, a couple kids um, in the following years. And then 
um, just me kind of struggling with struggling with health issues. Um, that was uh, that was kind of a difficult time in my life because I had little kids. I was having back problems. I also had just other random things I was dealing with, and. I, so I started getting really into health and like, what could I eat that was, that was healthier? And that kind of led me to gardening and then it led me to raising goats. And, um, at the time we were living in this tiny little house. So it was basically impossible to have even a chicken, you know? Uh, so we kind of made the leap. Um, we decided to start looking at homes that had more land and in Arizona, it's actually really hard to come by. We get a lot of comments that people say, oh, that's not very much land. To us, it's like a ton of land <laughs> because people live in little track homes here with like desert front landscape. I mean, tiny little homes. People don't live on big properties. Um, but we found a fixer upper and, um, and so we moved here. And I think like the very first day I brought home like three chickens because I thought that would be enough. <laughs> three chickens and like one goat, which is like the biggest no-no in goat world. You know, you never bring home one goat because they'll scream day and night, which it did. And um, then that that just started our journey. I mean, and we never stopped, you know, we just kept doing it. My son had a little bit of health issues. He had asthma. So we were trying to do like a healthier dairy for us. And um, yeah, and then it just started from there. Wow. So, so I hear from a lot of people where, where they often get focused on growing their own food and, and raising their own food, usually driven by health problems too. As, as you're starting out in that place though, and, and saying kind of like that first step of, well, let me start gardening in this, you know, tiny mm -hmm. home that I'm in. Like, like what are the steps that you take to actually make something like that happen going from that idea to taking action? Oh man, it's, it's so much harder than you think. That's the thing. You know, we've all been there, like, you know, just growing food, just digging in the soil and trying to get something to grow is so hard. So I guess it's just, it's just a process. You know, we just started small, you know, I started with like a cucumber plant and it died and I didn't know why, you know, things like that happen all the time. Um, and it's just been a, a slow progression to like getting better and better and better at understanding like which plant does what and, um, you know, how to raise animals is a whole other story too. You know, you learn how to do all that and learning how to raise goats. That was actually one of the reasons why I started my blog way back in the day is that I was searching for information on how to raise goats and I couldn't find it. I, I was shocked at there was not enough information for me to know like, how do I do this? How to do that? So I ended up calling the lady that I had bought a goat from and I just I know I drove her crazy with questions and I thought like, I need to have, and somebody needs to have a resource. So that's when I started blogging about goats, like how to raise goats, how to milk goats, all that stuff. I didn't think that many people would be interested in it because it seemed like in my world, being the city girl and everybody around me, you know, I didn't know anybody that had goats or had chickens or anything. And so, uh, but it actually ended up taking off because so there's a, there was a, like a surprising large amount of people that wanted to learn how to raise goats. And I didn't think that, but that's how it was. Um, yeah. And so then that kind of took off and I found kind of my niche. I kind of found my people that I think my people aren't, um, the typical hard, I would say hardcore homesteaders that have the cow and have like 
acres and acres of land. People I seem to connect with are the ones that have a small amount of land and they want to do, you know, grow food with what they've got. So um, you find a lot of goat people that follow us. And uh, that's cool. I love goat people. Well, why do you think there are goat people? I mean, goats are a unique animal. What, what, what attracts people to goats? Well, I think that there's like subsets of people. You know, like there's people that are really obsessed with uh, goats to a point like, you know, like they're like, I'll let them like lick their face, stuff like that. They, you know, like, you know, they'll nuzzle their faces. And I'm, I'm not that kind of person. Um, and then there's, there's some people that's just the novelty of it. Like it's just cute. They're just cute and fun. And then there's people who are like serious about it, like us, who like me, who um, like see their value for like how much yield they can put out for how little they eat. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions about goats is that their milk tastes like goaty, you know, like kind of rank, but they don't. They actually, we got a special breed, the Nigerian dwarf breed that tastes nice and sweet and clean. And we've been drinking it for, I don't know, 12 years. We're fine. <laughs> you know, nothing's happened to us so far. So I think we're good. Yeah, I think there is that belief that like, oh, you can only use it if you're making like cheese out of the milk. Mm -hmm. Like that's the only thing. But you, yeah. you actually drink it on a regular basis, huh? Yeah, yeah, we've been drinking it. And then we'll, um, you know, obviously use it in kind of baking or whatever, cooking. Um, and then recently I got a cream separator because that's the thing about goat's milk. It doesn't, the cream doesn't separate because the milk is naturally homogenized. It's naturally all mixed in. So usually have to have a cream separator to really get it, get that cream out. And so now we can make butter and all sorts of stuff. Um, but yeah, mostly we just drink it. So <laughs> wow, surprising, but it's just, that's such a part of our lives or just, we're used to it. So when you guys found the, the property that you're at now and you know, okay, you got this acre and you've gone from a postage stamp to maybe a letter sized property. Um, yeah. Like what's the process that you go through to plan what you're going to put, what sort of animals you're going to get? Like, like how do you start to build something like that? What you've got now? Well, back then I hadn't even heard of the term permaculture, you know, so I had no idea that there was actually like a method to putting chickens in a certain place and all that. So I just put them wherever, all over the yard, you know, we use like makeshift cages and all that. But as we've gone on, the longer we've lived here, we've kind of learned like, ah, it's smarter to do this over here. We used to have the goats where my garden was, but who wants a goat next to their bedroom window, you know? So we moved that and then, you know, we moved to the milking stand, which used to be at the very back of our property, you know, kind of halfway up, just made it a lot easier for us to zip up and milk and then come back since we're walking out there twice a day. Um, so yeah, little things like that, we kind of, we eventually learned, but we definitely didn't start out mapping it very well. Mm -hmm. And and as you've progressed and learned more and more, are there things that you, you regretted doing that you now find yourself undoing? Like, what, what's that like? Oh, yeah. Like the amount of trees that I've removed and like repositioned to different spots. Ridiculous. But um, now I think I really understand the idea of not, no, I wouldn't say permaculture as much because we don't necessarily have our chickens in one area and then bring our goats over. We kind of have just, you know, little kind of more of the old school method of just having them in different areas. Um, but I definitely have learned 
enough about the different microclimates on our property. So like I know our front yard is gonna be really hot because we're facing Southwest. So it's gonna be super hot. And I know that this area is gonna be able to grow this better. And this area has more shade for these animals that need more shade. And so I would say that we probably follow the microclimate um, practices more than the permaculture, but it works for us. Mm. And, and as you're looking at your homestead now and where you're going to go next, like what, what sort of plans do you have on tap? Let's see. So I would love to plant more trees, but you know, that's always tricky. I think, um, when in Arizona, you're just always struggling with the heat and the sun and everything getting parched. So, um, I think we have a good setup right now, but I would love to bring more in and it's, that's kind of the argument right now. I'd love to take up more of our pasture and plant trees, but that means we would have to actually cut off the goats from it because they'll, you know, they'll destroy them. So uh, Kevin would love to keep the pasture as is, and I would love to just push the goats over a little bit and do more of an orchard. Um, but we're pretty happy with what we have right now. More, mostly it's just getting like the trees to maturity and um, obviously getting more trees, but everything else is pretty good. Cool. So, so this past weekend, uh, buddy and I spent most of it digging a pond for my ducks. Did you really? Uh, oh, wow. Pond. That's cool. Yeah. And, uh, it's been quite the experience, you know, it's like I found just the spot where all the water congregates and it seems cool. like the soil is pretty heavy clay. Yeah. Um, I know you've had quite the adventure with building out yeah. your pond and your experience. Can you tell me the story behind that? Cause I, I, I'm, I've been fascinated with watching it. Well, I, I know it seems kind of ridiculous <laughs> for us to build this huge pond, but um, everybody has pools here in Arizona. Like every single backyard has a pool. And I've always wanted a place to cool off for us. You know, we work outside a lot and um, I never liked the idea of just building a pool because if you talk to a lot of people here, they'll say, yeah, you'll use it till your kids are teenagers. And then, you know, when they're gone, you'll never use it again. So I wanted something that not only we could swim in, but that we could use it for other purposes, like growing food, growing fish. And um, yeah, I just craved being in the desert and it being so hot, I just craved being around being around water. Like I'm, a, I'm amazed that people have actual rivers that like they drive by when they're driving around their towns or stream. I mean, we don't have that here. It's just, it's just desert. So, um, so yeah, so I did a ton of research and we went back and forth on doing it ourselves. It's such a big undertaking because I wanted it really big. Um, so we ended up going with the contractor, which it worked out fine. I think there were a few things that we still wish we would have done different, but you know, it is what it is. And we really like it now. It's, it's awesome. Uh, we definitely swim in it all the time and growing fish. The hardest part again is growing plants. It's some, that's something I didn't think would be so hard, but if you think about it, like I'm shipping plants, pond plants from places like, you know, like Minnesota here to Arizona, and I'm trying to get them to survive and do well. And even though they have all this water, you know, there are some plants, they can have all the water in the world and they still don't like that harsh sun. So we're trying to find the, the sweet spot, the plants that are going to flourish the best in our zone and in our area. So um, I think we've kind of narrowed it down to, uh, they happen to be the most invasive plants too. So if they get to be too big, we're just gonna rip them out. But um, yeah, I think we've kind of learned the best way to uh, 
to grow it now. Mm. And, and is it, in terms of that plant mix, is that just a sort of trial and error? Is it like, how are you finding your research? Like I'm, I'm really yeah. personally curious. Uh, so yeah, one. so the plants are so important because the plants filter the water. So, you know, one of the first things you'll do when you have a pond or the best thing you can do for the clarity of the water to keep the water clear is to add uh, heterosomic bacteria. So if you add bacteria to the pond, it is going to, its job is going to microscopically break down um, the nitrates into nitrites. And, you know, it does this whole process. There's this whole like scientific reason behind how it, how it eats the organic matter and keeps it from like if you see a pond and it looks like, you know, um, it's not clear, it looks muddy. It, if you put bacteria within like a week, it'll clear it out. Bacteria will live on the rocks. So once you kind of get them to a certain like, it's like your gut, like colonizing your gut. Once you get it to a certain level, that bacteria will work. But bacteria won't keep a pond perfect alone. You need plants because plants are going to take up nutrients and try to steal them from the algae because algae will grow algae is like amazing it will grow in a cold bucket in the whip you know like algae grows like crazy so um so the key is you want plants lots of plants to be able to kind of fight out the algae and if you don't do that you'll just be more susceptible to like different algae blooms um algae blooms usually happen with like extreme temperature changes or like if we get a lot of rain we'll get a little bloom of algae on the rocks. And so, uh, yeah, plants are the key. And it's not just plants, there's lots of different types of plants. There's marginals that do a different job. They take up different nutrients than like the floating plants, than the oxygenating plants that are submerged. And then there's also the, um, I'm thinking of the last word, but uh, I'm trying to think of the last word of the name of them, but basically things like cattails and bulrushes that are gonna just that are gonna not be completely submerged, but they can be submerged like two feet or a foot. So you have all, you need all these different plants to be working together. And if they work together, then they stuff out the algae. And so because we're in Arizona and we have a lot of heat, as you can guess, we probably have a lot more algae than most people. So, um, so yeah, that's the thing we've been working on is just trying to find the right sweet spot with our plants. The problem we run into is that when everybody's ready to ship the plants, because we always have to ship them from other places. When they ship their plants, they don't want to ship them to about March or April, but we need them in January, February, so they can start growing before the, the summer heat. So we're always a bit behind, so we've got our plants now, but they and they don't grow too much till the next year, till they can really recover it and grow in our spring, which is January and February is our spring. So yeah, it's a little bit tricky. It's always different being here in Arizona. Just a few more tweaks we have to do, but um, I like it. I like the uh, the experience that we gain from all the frustrating failures. You know, that's basically life, right? Especially farm life. Oh my gosh. <laughs> a lot of trial and error. Yeah, like a ton. So anyway, yeah. If you ever have questions about your pond, like. I pretty much probably know because we've, we've experienced about everything. <laughs> I'll definitely take you up on that. So, so you know, another thing that, that I've always struck by, like when I see your videos, right, is you, know, you guys are in Arizona. You are in a crazy hot, crazy dry climate. Mm -hmm. You know, we're up in Vermont, constant, yeah. lots of rain, you know, wow. six months of winter, kind of all that sort of stuff. Wow. When you think about various kind of homestead areas, what, what do you see as the strengths and weaknesses of the, of the desert climate? Well, we have a long growing season, even though it gets really hot, 
the hot loving plants like the cucumbers and peppers and tomatoes thrive here. So even when it's really hot, we can grow all those. Uh, so our growing season, we really never stop growing. So um, I would say right now about July and August are are toughest. So you'll get a, you'll get a little more crispy uh, vegetables in your garden. Like the leaves will start uh, getting really crisp and dying. But other than that, it's like we are growing year round. And it's interesting because it's it's it is opposite than other people. So I'll start growing all of my greens um, in September and I'll grow them all all throughout the winter. Like we're going out there and picking fresh greens and no problem. So that's a benefit. Um, we don't have like worms or bugs, you know, so our, we don't really have to deworm our animals too much. Uh, so that's really helpful because we're so dry, you know, it's not really a big problem here. Um, and we also don't have a lot of bugs. So when people are talking about things like squash bugs or uh, I'm like, what is that? Like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Cause we don't really, I mean, some people may get it, you know, it's just really pretty rare. Maybe the biggest thing we have is aphids, but um, yeah, we don't really deal with that too much. So that's the benefit. The, the con is, is always the water, the water conservation. We're always trying to, you know, keep our plants happy, mulching really deep. Um, but then again, a lot of times it can still just not work out. It seems like every time we go out for some reason, the sprinklers, the system hasn't been watering our garden. Uh, that's probably another thing. We don't actually rely on actual rain to water our garden at all at all. Every garden here has to have some kind of drip system or something connected to the main house mm. to water. So cool. Yeah. You know, one of the other things I'm always struck by, by with you and your homestead is just how much of everything that you guys are doing is such a family activity where you yeah. know, your yeah. husband, your kids, you're, they're all, you guys are all like working together to build out what you've got. You know, how, how does that come together? Like, how do you guys end up working together on something like that versus I know some families where it's like one person has this passion project of growing. Yeah. Food yeah. Sort of a lonely adventure. There's definitely moans, you know, when I bring when we bring something up that we want to do. But I think my kids have been um, really good because from a really young age, when we first moved to this property, they were four and six and I was so bad with my back. I was in a wheelchair a lot. Mm. So I, and I was still like ambitious enough to want to like milk goats, if you can believe that. So I'd have my kids like push me out in the wheelchair so we could go milk goats. And, um, so I think from a young age, they've been used to helping me. Um, now I'm a lot better. So I'm out there with them, but I don't know it. They're used to it. Uh, we just, we just try to get stuff done quickly too. We'll say, okay, let's go out. Let's spend 30 minutes. Let's get this done. And it's, you know, what's the same where it's like, um, many hands make light work, something like that. It's true. It really does help when you've got like my son, who's actually taller than my husband now, and we're all out there helping together. So it's a lot better. Mm. Um, as, as you look out in the world, right, it seems like homesteading and homesteaders are on the rise. It just seems to be more and more people yeah, trying to grow yeah. food, especially lately. What do you think is driving that? Well, I think, um, I think I heard you say in some video, there is like a roman romanticization of it. If that's right, it's not the right word. It's like people romanticize it. And uh, it's true because I mean, I did too. I was like, oh, look, I'm going to have this beautiful, you know, and then things always go wrong. So I think people um, love the idea of it. And so they like to start working on it. I don't know if everybody sticks around with it because it definitely is uh, frustrating and things go wrong all the time. But 
I, I think people just genuinely want to um, go back to the earth. Like they want to put their hands in the soil and feel proud that they grew like a carrot. I mean, I'm sure you like the first time you grew something, you're really proud of you know yourself for doing that. So I, I was too, like I still am. I'm still like, wow, look, I grew this whole watermelon. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that people want to do that, but uh, it's definitely hard. Like I'm not gonna say it's easy, but yeah, it's definitely hard. So I, I hope that most people understand that, yeah, it is a process and you're gonna have to get a lot of failures to do. Get, get some successes. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things I've, I've talked to some people, some friends about lately is like everybody wants to do it all at once versus yeah, like a yeah. little bit at a, at a time kind of thing. I have noticed that. I'm, I have been surprised at people saying like, I got my cow and my chickens and my, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like that's a lot in one, you know, cause we, we started very small. We we're like, okay, we're going to try to grow carrots this year, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and, and I mean, I want part of me wonders if it's got to do with the fact that like, you know, you're seeing a lot more systems that develop where it's like, okay, oh, yeah. let me have the chickens that follow the cows yeah. and then yeah. I use the manure for the, like, and when you see all those systems stack, it's, yeah. that's the thing that's so exciting. That is exciting. The, I, that idea, I think, um, I think people can fall too easily into the trap of, um, I don't know how to describe it, but whenever I see uh, people try to do like the wood chip method or the, it's like the back to Eden method, not to knock that down, but just the idea that, that there can be perfection or that if you do all these things that everything will be perfect. I mean, I haven't figured that out. I've definitely tried all those methods too. I think, um, I think that can be a bit dangerous because if you think, oh, it's going to work out perfectly, it just, it's not always that the case, you know, you'll have to kind of figure out what's best for you and your climate and all that. So mm -hmm. yeah. Beyond that, what sort of advice would you have for somebody who wants to get started in, into homesteading? Oh gosh. I would just say, um, I would just say like, honestly start small and just get good at, at what you can do like with, with a small amount because you really don't want to get so overwhelmed that you just want to quit at all. When I see people that want to, that buy a whole herd of goats at once, like they get six goats and they're going to breed all six goats. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, we started with two and we had two, we actually had two milking goats for a good eight years. That's all we had. And that was plenty of milk for us. And it worked out. And there were times we didn't have milk and that was fine. We still bought milk from the store, but it was a really great um, introduction for us to get into like, animal husbandry and taking care of them correctly. Um, yeah, I would say start small. Don't, don't overdo it. <laughs> don't still be going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Knowing what you know now and, and looking back on everything that you guys have been doing over the last, you know, several years, what would be the one thing you'd do differently? As far as homesteading yeah. goes, um, let's see. I would probably, gosh, what would I do differently? I really am happy with a lot of things, but I probably would have started, uh, I really would have invested in trees a long time ago because, you know, it just takes so long for them to mature, a lot longer than I thought they would. So I would, I wish when we came here, we would have just invested in like a whole orchard of trees because then we would be 10 years later. Uh, so that's the thing I would just say, like, if you're really serious about a homestead, I mean, start like really invest into it. It's the thing that's going to take the longest. Um, you can get chickens, you can get goats and you can get a turnover really fast from that or, you know, whatever. Um, even a garden, you get a fast turnover, but 
like if you're really serious and you want to secure your homestead, I would be like, do fruit and nut trees as soon as you could because that's going to be, once that establishes, it's like that's constant food for you. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. That's what I wish we would have done. Well, I really enjoyed that. I hope you guys did too. Danelle's story is, is pretty incredible when you think about it, where she was going from life in a wheelchair because of back problems to, you know, having a whole slew of goats on her farm and, and being able to do what she does on a, a daily basis. It's, it's just quite impressive. And it and I think it really speaks to the value of, of self-sufficiency. And, and when you try to do stuff that's outside your comfort zone, you and your body it sort of snaps too and, and rises to the challenge and, and so there's a benefit in trying to challenge yourself with with what you're doing and how you're living um if you want to learn more about danelle and you, you you really actually aren't familiar with her definitely go check out her youtube channel weedem and reap uh, you can also check out her instagram feed i'll leave links for both in the show notes today and uh, i hope you guys enjoyed this episode if you want to learn more about what we do here at Goldshaw Farm at our farm here in Vermont, um, be sure to check out our Instagram and YouTube channels. Uh, they're both called Goldshaw Farm. And, and if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe. Uh, be sure to write reviews. Be sure to tell your friends. I, I really always appreciate it. Um, and, and yeah, I will be back very, very soon with another episode where we're bringing you another story of somebody who is chasing their dreams and... and living that homesteading or farming life. And with that, I will let my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, play our theme song. It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Goldshaw Farms. A city life, yeah. But we would dream of the fields under the stars I fall asleep inside its arms The love is here at Goldshaw Farms The love is here at Goldshaw Farms